sing as one my land, my for this country we're walking on my land, my we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand program may contain traces of irony, sarcasm, satire, parody, mockery, banter, caricature, and nuts. The opinions expressed are almost certainly not shared by self-appointed officious dictatorial wowsers. If you are dangerously irony deficient or allergic to mockery of the self-important and corrupt, then get a life. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's time for another episode of the Environmental As Anything podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Sean O'Shaughnessy. I'm pretty excited to be able to speak to David McBride. Now, David McBride is uh, one of Australia's uh, bravest soldiers, in my opinion. Uh, he is uh, the man who exposed uh, the, uh, the the malfeasance, the, 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 the war crimes that were going on, uh, being committed by uh, Australian soldiers in Afghanistan. And so he's, he's been bravely standing up for the integrity of uh, the Australian Defence Force and making sure that we have the highest standard of professionalism. And as a uh, as, as repayment for his, uh, his courage in doing so, uh, the Australian government is threatening to lock him up for 50 years. So, uh, yeah, we'll be talking to, uh, to David uh, McBride about his experience as a whistleblower and, you know, the, the cause, what, what, what drew him to actually stand up against this, uh, this, this toxic culture that he, uh, that he encountered there in the, in the Defence Force. Also, I'm looking forward to hearing from Joe Dodds, who is uh, one of the, uh, the the staunch activists from the uh, survivors uh, from the bushfire survivors uh, group. Uh, the bushfire survivors group has been uh, doing great work in pushing for a, a just outcome for bushfire survivors in the face of the climate emergency. And uh, they've been working to uh, asking the uh, you know they've just recently been asking. Um, uh, the federal government to pause all new coal and gas projects. Uh, but uh, that's just part of the story because of only this week in the south coast of New South Wales, there were uh, uh, schools, dozens of schools closed uh, to, uh, in, in, in response to the massive fire risk that was um, uh, the worst since Black Summer. Uh, according to the, the you know the New South Wales South Coast fire danger got upgraded to catastrophic, and uh, residents warned to be prepared. Just last Tuesday, uh, as the weather bureau was predicting that it could be even hotter with more extreme fire danger. Now we all had the uh, uh, the extreme heat here on Thursday. We we hit 35, I believe, uh, which was a record. For Lismore, for September, for that date in September, uh, that is a, a record, uh, I think, for the 21st of September. And, uh, and of course, uh, across the state, we're already getting record heat days. And as we, of course, will continue to do with the climate emergency ramping up. So we're going to speak to Joe Dodds uh, about what's going on in the south coast, what's happening with the bushfire survivors who have, uh, you know, largely been forgotten by a large section of the community, and what's going on in the, the federal and state governments with regard to responding uh, to the, the the immediate prospect, the very real prospect of further uh, uh, fire storm uh, seasons uh, hitting us as the as the climate becomes uh, hotter and hotter. And here you are tuned in to Environmental As Anything. Thank you for being with me today. And it is my great honour to present to you uh, a man who I'm calling one of the most courageous uh, soldiers in Australia. Uh, he's uh, done a lot of work in the uh, political and legal field before joining the Australian Defence Force in 2005, but has uh, struck uh, some uh, perhaps unwanted prominence in that he is uh, now facing uh, uh, up to 50 years in prison for having uh, blown the whistle on some unconscionable behaviour uh, amongst our service people in uh, Afghanistan. And, uh, and I, so I have with me, of course, uh, David McBride, 
um, who is uh, he, you know tell, has who's, has a trial commencing in fifty days uh, over these uh, these matters of his truth telling. So I'm very honoured uh, to have David with me. Thank you for joining Environmental as anything today, David. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for uh, doing community radio. And uh, you're going to save the world, I think, because you don't miss. You're not going to hear uh, these sort of messages anywhere else. So I'm grateful. Uh, I'm grateful to you and your listeners. Not at all. Look, it's, it's, I mean, like we should be grateful, I think, because you've done, uh, the, taken this courageous action. You've told the truth about the Australian Defence Force's unethical, harmful and highly politicised leadership and this culture of impunity in Afghanistan. So uh, can, you, can you give us a bit of uh, background on how you came to the point of, uh, of, of you know, having to make that, uh, that difficult call and, and to take that, uh, that, that extremely difficult action? Yeah, it's a good point. I've just uh, uh, finished a book about it. You realise it, it, it comes quite slowly. And I saw uh, more and more things which... Uh, you must turn a blind eye to, but you think, yeah, that's not that's not right, but I'm prepared to give it the benefit of the doubt. And um, uh, eventually on my... I could see in the first tour I did in Afghanistan in 2011 that we were making stuff up. We were saying it was going well, but it wasn't going well. And uh, it was just a matter of... It was like sort of being a corporation pretending to make a profit when they were making a loss. Mm. And everybody was sort of playing along. On my second tour, um, I, I with the Special Forces, I came to... Actually, first stumbled across people being made scapegoats who hadn't actually done anything wrong um, but just uh, do their job and try to defend. And I thought, that's strange. Why did we... We didn't investigate any allegations of war crimes last year. Now we're trying to put people in jail desperately. It looks like something is up. And the more I looked into it, and that's what really made my blood boil, it wasn't so much a bad behaviour of a few soldiers, that's all. Not great, but it's not going to happen. But the idea that the whole thing was a staged, managed um, PR exercise where we made heroes that weren't really heroes and we made villains that weren't really villains and um, everything was being run like it was a corrupt corporation and that just turned my skin. And when I saw a particular thing going on, I was like, no, enough's enough. I need to stand up um, over this. And, um, you know, if I go to jail, I go to jail. But we have come so far from the sort of Anzac legend of people doing the right thing and um, uh, fighting for their country. And and we've now become this sort of pantomime of that. And I, um, I, yeah, I just just thought enough is enough. And it's great. I've got a lot of support up in the Northern Rivers, Mm. I'm very pleased to say. And uh, I was up there quite recently looking at sort of flood-ravaged country. And I love... um, What really makes it for me is that I meet people who write to me and say, you're doing the right thing, you know, uh, you're a great guy. And that that just makes makes my day. Obviously, the government is still doing their best to put me in jail. And I've got two teenage daughters, and it will be hard for them. But it's... um, um, I've met some great people in, in Australia, people like yourselves, and that really um, it, it, that makes me feel good. Yeah, good. Well, I mean, that's that's good to hear. You're getting good support, and and you know that your community and, and family behind you here because that's cr- critical for for people, isn't it? But just want to just wind back to to what you said. Um, you saw a certain thing. Now you said that in a very you've alluded to a certain thing that you saw. Are you able to give us you know some more detail on what it was? I think what the government were doing, and this will be decided by my trial, of course, I think I think that they were covering up uh, war crimes that they knew of by particular sort of famous people. And uh, worse than just doing that, they were trying to find some non-entities to take the fall for them. Hmm. And I thought that was bad. I thought that I thought that was you know that just made my skin crawl. And it was actually the non-entities that I was looking into. It, and I thought, why are they doing this? What is going on here? Yeah, so cover-ups and war crime. That's why in my bio, it, my, my, the people I'm really after are the generals. 
not the corporals, mm. um, and to say that they, I believe that they were involved, uh, you know, probably because the politicians put pressure on them, but they were involved in elaborate deception of the Australian public about what was really going on. And they didn't, they were so cynical, they didn't even care. They were happy to put good soldiers in jail uh, to cover for bad soldiers. And mm. I thought that, that just made my skin crawl. Well, the name Ben Robert Smith has been, you know, bandied around in all the media outlets. Uh, you know, he's famously uh, taken the Oscar Wilde option and, uh, and and sued for defamation and then been found to have been guilty of the crimes he was claiming he was not guilty of, um, or at least, you know, the courts found that, that, that the, the claims against him were substantially true. So, you know, is that is that famous case, you know, part of what you're talking about here where, where, where the good soldiers who were being being thrown to the thrown under the bus uh, to cover for for him and, yeah, and others like I him. Think so. I think so. I think that they knew about. I think the leadership knew about him in 2012. That a lot of the tangential things came out in um, in the defamation case. Uh, and for those who followed it very closely, like myself, things like. Um, the fact that some people's SAS corporals had complained about uh, Robert Smith in 2012, and then Andrew Hasty, member of Parliament, Liberal member of Parliament, um, complained about Robert Smith in 2012. Um, now the leadership claimed that they never heard anything like that, but then suddenly in 2013 they they sort of changed the rules of engagement. They started looking, they started investigating jobs for hat things that couldn't possibly be you know, murders. And it just seemed strange to me. And I think what they worried about the fact he was so famous that if he went down, he would take a lot of people down with him who pinned medals on him. In fact, another thing that came out of the defamation trial was he wasn't even in line. He wasn't top of the list for the Victoria Cross. But the PR people elevated him to the top of the list because he was it suggested because he was so good looking and he, and he gave such good press conferences. He certainly so looked was, the part. Yeah, it was everything was asked about face in this instant. He 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 looked like the media people wanted him to look, so they were pushing his case. So if it, if he'd come tumbling down, uh, a lot of media people, maybe even the minister, might have looked bad. And so um, while there were lots of rumours going around, and they said, Shit, we need to put someone in jail, but not him. And I, and that just made me just like, really? Yeah. You know, they didn't even investigate. From the Virgin report, there was 39 murders or something, in, basically in 2012, some from the year before, I think. And none of them were investigated at the time. And... Uh, and yet, in 2013, they suddenly they were investigating things which which didn't even meet the parameters, you know, which kind of industrial accidents or something. And that was strange uh, to say, why? What suddenly changed? And if you want to investigate something, why don't you investigate Robert Smith? Um, mm. And uh, it was yeah, it was weird. And as I said, we've forgot. And it's not so much about the last war for me. It's about the next war. Mm. If our if, if generals and uh, political leaders, if they just lie to the public all the time and make shit up it, because it, it, it looks good for elections, we're going to be led into another war uh, mm. on spurious grounds. We need to have some sort of honesty and some sort of truth in in things as important as as those kind of things. And if we have to, the public can handle the truth. Mm. If, say, things went wrong or this wasn't very good or people um, uh, stepped over the line, I mean, the public can handle that. And I think if the public, if they, if they ever find out how much they've been misled, Robert Smith has been brought down. But I think one of the things that wasn't really brought out was the fact how much the Defence Department pushed him forward. And mm. that something which really needs to look into because he didn't award himself the medals. Um, <laughs> they were given to him by other people and they seems like they, they were talking him up from the very beginning because he was what they wanted. Mm. And anybody that spoke out against him, they were told to shut up because mm. um, he, he, was just, he was just marketing gold and that's mm. all they really cared about. 
Yes, and you, you talk about uh, a truth, and uh, you know, like, and it, it speaks to trust, doesn't it? It seems that the trust and honor, uh, you know, like are, are essential components of being able to to run a military. I mean, aside from us, uh, that the public being able to trust our, our our military to be professional and above politics, the, the the troops themselves, the people. I imagine I'm not having had this experience myself, but I, you know, I've always had the impression that if if you don't trust your your senior your officers to tell you the truth and to give you factual, factually correct information, then, uh, you know, the effectiveness of any given fighting force is going to be seriously hampered. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of my key points, to say that fighting any army, I mean, it's a serious business, putting your life on the line. It's not like a normal job. No. And you, you have to have trust. You cannot bullshit the soldiers. You cannot create some sort of a, a, a wicked sort of pantomime. And now I think this is one of one of the theories of why we have why we have so many suicides now that we didn't have before. Um, yes, it was it was tough over there, but I don't think that they had the same incident for suicides after the Second World War as they did after the Vietnam War. I mean, percentage wise, would be good, or after the Afghanistan War, be, simply because I think we twisted. The souls of the soldiers, they knew that, it, that so much was bullshit. They mm. knew that they were um, they were being bullshitted too, but, but not only over there, but when they came back. It, it, it's terribly debilitating. You can imagine if you were, uh, and there was, this was a real case. One of the guys testified in, um, in the Ben Robert Smith defamation trial. He said that he was... Uh, uh, he was there the day Ben Robert Smith got his VC. He was this bloke was from the SAS, and he was every bit as brave and you know strong. And he was fighting alongside him. Um, he didn't even get a mention, you know. Um, and, and and it was seemed to be because Robert Smith was better looking than him. And that that sort of stuff just twists your absolute soul. To say, mm. oh, the PR people decided you're not going to get a bravery medal because you you know you're not going to give a good enough press conference. And um, and even if you put your life on your line for the country time and time and time again, I mean, that's that's enough to make a soldier just go nuts, you know, and mm. that you cannot run a military like that. You do have to have some sort of trust. You can send people to their death, but you cannot bullshit them in a really cynical way or use them for political purposes. Um, mm. That will, um, yeah, we, we, that soldiers cannot really deal with that. And that is, um, yeah, it's a very, very bad thing to do. And it's what made me so angry. And that's why I'm always, I'm always really focused on the leadership to say, we, and they knew, they know all of that. They do a million courses about what makes good leaders and how to, and how truth matters and integrity. And that's what, that's what even turned my stomach even more. They knew what they were doing was wrong and they knew what they were doing was going to have very bad long-term consequences for the defence of this country, mm. but they did it anyway mm. um, because it benefited their own career progression and, I, and that just turned my stomach. Mm. Yeah, well, so look, that I think kind of encapsulates nicely, you, you know, your, your strong motivation, uh, you know, strong purpose in in, uh, in going forward and blowing the whistle. Now, but I'm, I'm a little bit vague on exactly what that involved what's the uh what did you blow how who did you blow the whistle to and on what was what's can you give us a little bit more on on you know, took, what it, you're being charged with having done yeah yeah no fair enough it, it took a, it took a while because i was someone i had a very good career and i loved the military and i didn't want to uh throw it all away at once and i and i knew what the law was and so i wrote an internal complaint Mm-hmm. after I got back from Afghanistan, after I suspected what I suspected. Uh, and it took me a while to do it because I knew it had to be... It had to be... It had to be good. Mm-hmm. And, and I was right. It would be looked at by a lot of lawyers, a lot of senior people. And I was trying to be as diplomatic as I can to say, look, I think we have uh, thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Possibly. Anyway, I was trying to be as diplomatic as I could didn't want to lose my career at that stage, and to say, yes, it's. A, I was giving them an out to say it's a war, uh, we could, you know, public messaging is important. However, if you look at their following, and I put based it all on internal documents, um, 
it looks like perhaps we got to be carried away with um, how important positive messages is, as opposed to the truth, basically. Mm. And I was hoping they might say, look, you're right. We see your point. Um, we got a bit carried away under the pressures of the war and, you know, what our strategic partners, the Americans, wanted us to do or whatever. Um, and, and they didn't. So you know, my internal complaint took, it took me about a year to write it because uh, it had a lot of documents backed up on the end of it. And then it, uh, it took them about another year to deal with it, as I knew they would. One of the frustrating things about being a military lawyer is, is, you, is you know how they're going to deal with your complaint because that's, because that's one of your jobs is, <laughs> is to shut down other people's complaints. Hmm. And so I knew what they would do to me. They would starve it from oxygen. They would take a very long time and they would come back with something beautifully written which basically says you've got no case, which is what they did do. Hmm. Um, so that's two years after... Uh, after the incidents occurred in Afghanistan, so we're now in 2015. Uh, I, I did at that time. I'd already, I'd already spoken to some journalists because I, I had a feeling my internal complaint wouldn't go anywhere. And what I wanted to do, a bit like um, a big sort of a political scandal of the, in the United States in America, the Watergate scandal, where they brought down a president. I, I wanted to leak documents to journalists. Not publicly, anonymously, so they could ask the hard questions of the of the, the politicians and the generals to say, you know, uh, did you know about X, Y, and Z? And then if they said no, 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 we don't, they could then say, well, what about this document which proves you did? <laughs> and um, that didn't have any luck. It's quite hard these days, you know, mainstream media. That's why I'm always so grateful for people like yourselves. Uh, mainstream media will take on what we saw with Ben Robert Smith. They will take it. Even then, it was quite divided with one media company facing off against another media company. But um, they will take on a bad soldier. They will take on a bad individual. But to try to get uh, a big story, which is effectively a bad government story, a bad leadership story, was, I, I couldn't get anyone that interested in it. Um, Eventually, the ABC approached me. They wanted to do a slightly different version of it, but at least I was happy with them because they at least gave a shit and they put the, they said, yeah, we'll take the documents. Um, we see that you... Um, and I was saying, look, it's all wrong. The Defence Department is rotten from the top to the bottom. And um, they they did put some things online. It's called the Afghan Files. And they didn't... They, I saw them in 2016, so three years later. Uh, and then... Um, they put something in line on to, in 2017, so it took a while before mm. they um, uh, they put stuff. They didn't <clears throat> use my name or anything, but they I knew that I'd be in the frame because they'd used all the documents that I gave them, right. and it would have been relatively easy for the defence force to work out who printed these documents. And of course, one of the problems with under our normal whistleblower or present whistleblower system is you have to complain internally first. Yeah. So I've been complaining internally for, for, for three years. And so then when the same sort of things I'm talking about um, turn up in the press, it's yeah. pretty obvious who the leaker is. Yeah. And that is one of the problems. You set yourselves up to be, um, you know, and actually under the public interest disclosure, like you are allowed to go to the media if you get fobbed off internally. Right. It's actually, you know, you, you have to jump through quite a lot of hoops, but it does envisage that that's possible. Mm. Um, and yet the problem is if you are, if you have been um, internally uh, trying to shake the tree for, for a fair amount of time, if you do end up going to the media, it's going to be pretty obvious who uh, did. Yeah, so yeah. that was the case with me. I took off to Spain, uh, knowing that I was probably going to get arrested soon enough. Um, and I um, uh, and my family came to join me. And uh, then after about a year in Spain, we decided I'd come back and face the music. So I got a... a the police were trying to contact me, um, and I just ignored their emails. And they raided my house. That's right. Well, I was out, and I had all the documents in my house, mm. the ones I'd given the ABC. Um, and uh, they, uh, they then, um, uh, uh, I went back to Australia to see one of my daughters who was back there, and I knew I'd probably get arrested, and um, I did get arrested as soon as I came in the country, or a few days later. Mm. And. Um, uh, the police treated me very fairly. They put me, um, they gave me bail. That was about five years ago now. Um, 
almost exactly, and uh, they, um, in that 2008, I've been, um, I've been sort of uh, uh, awaiting trial for the last five years. So that's, right. um, uh, but yeah, support's been growing, and it's, um, uh, uh, I think, and I'm lucky in the many, there was the Bernard Caleri case, which happened at about the same time, and there was um, a Richard Boyle case, and, um, I think if I if I was just on my own, I would struggle. But because there's a few different whistleblowers out there, mm. um, and people are saying, "Really, we're going to put these people in jail?" But just because they've embarrassed the department, it mm. doesn't seem mm. fair. What happens is there's a pattern okay, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, what's going to happen um, in the future? It's all very well the government to say, "Oh well, Richard Ball's not really a whistleblower." David Price not really a whistleblower, but who yep. who? Um, doesn't look good. Doesn't pass the doesn't pass the pub test, as they say these days, does it? But, but David, I was going to actually try to like just bring you back a little bit to um, the question of like, so you 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 went through the procedures, obviously, as you've described, and as you say, you're a military lawyer. You knew the procedures. You were following them well, and then you've passed the information on to the media, as you've said, said is you know supposed to be allowable, supposed to be part of the the next step in the procedure. What was the effect? Of your whistleblowing, what actually was the consequence uh, of the, of the publication of that material? It's hard to know. I think it, 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 the Brereton report came as a result because it, it became clear that our our everything is rosy story about Afghanistan was not the truth, mm. um, and uh, so the Brereton report followed about a year after my. Um, uh, revelations and so people did start to look into what was going on so I think it, it, it actually began there was another story um, the Afghan files wasn't the, the biggest story but then there was another one the ABC did the killing fields because other people came forward mm. the good thing about being the first person uh, the trailblazer, I guess, is that other people see it and go, actually, that's right. And I, what's more, there's more to that story than you realise. And here's, you know, that that famous leaked piece of footage about the soldiers shooting um, um, uh, the Afghan guy is clearly just sitting in a field holding prayer beads, uh, dead. Mm-hmm. And that came out after, well, I didn't even know about that, but that came out after my revelations. And... Um, other people came forward, um, and Dusty Miller, a genetic, and a guy called Braden Chapman, um, who was a signaler, um, they came forward and said, yeah, look, it's all true. And so it, it enabled other, they say, uh, infectious, it, it enabled other people to come forward mm. and back me up. And um, and now we've got, we've got at least one trial eventually starting, again, mainly because of that video evidence was, was hard to argue with and um, we um, uh, as I said I, I, I'm hoping one of the good things about me going to trial and like any defendant criminal trial is that you can call witnesses and you can also um, turn the spotlight a little bit onto your accusers and so I'm hoping that uh, as my defence to say look I was justified, I was, I was taught to stand up for what is right, I was taught to not accept um, law-breaking by our own government and um, when I saw it I had to stand up and to actually put my justifications which will in effect put the government on trial. I don't know what Dane will have to probably only be independent media like yourself would really take it but Mm. to actually say this is why I did what I did I believe it's criminal activity by the senior leadership of the Defence Force Um, and hopefully um, that will that will achieve more than the original uh, revelations, which mm. um, didn't involve in anybody really getting jailed or, or uh, hauled in front of the, the judge. And so um, in some ways, while I have to kind of keep all my courage and um, and, and uh, keep, keep myself motivated, in some ways I've got... It's good I'm having a trial because it gives me a chance to really... Uh, shake the tree a bit more and just say, this is what I saw, it's mm. wrong, and maybe something will finally be done about it. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I should just I'd say I've got a, I've got some uh, just from Wikipedia. The Brereton Report uh, says that uh, possibly the most disgraceful episode in Australia's military history, and one particular incident that is was brought to light, and that commanders at troop squadron and task group level bear moral command responsibility for these events. And it's talking about thirty nine different murders. I mean, it's not it's not trivial stuff we're talking about here. And you've and you know, like your actions have seriously, uh, you know, perhaps cracked that egg and brought it out into the public light. So. So, you know, like uh, pretty seriously, uh, you know, uh, courageous, knowing full well that you know that, you know, you're likely to suffer those consequences that you are now facing up to. So, uh, you know, well done. Thank you. Um, that uh, what what next? Like, you're, I know we've got we're going to have limited time here, unfortunately. We're going to have to wrap the show at some point. So I can't talk all day about all the details. But uh, what next for for you? What next? Uh, you know, what next? You're coming to Lismore. Is the is is a big? Is, you know, I am coming to Lismore. Yeah, we'd like. I think I people are going to want to hear your your whole story. We don't need to to burn all of the uh, the, the, the that up here on air. Um, let's keep some powder dry for that. What's going on in, in, in What's your tour? What's what's going on with the talking tour? Uh, well, I've got a um, I've got a book uh, I've got a book coming out which I'm excited about called The Nature of Honor. You can pre-order it on a Penguin Random House website. It'll be penguin.com.au, and you put David McBride in on Nature of Honor, and you can. Uh, uh, that it's going to come out about the same time as my trial in November. Um, I uh, I can't wait to get to Lismore. That will be uh, uh, that will be I think the positive. It, it, it's it's poetic justice that it's kind of the, the last the last tour. I think that we're going to show a documentary, cheap documentary that we made. Um, we're probably going to get more support in Lismore than any 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 of the major cities, and that'll be nice. And um, I. Uh, yeah, we do a question and answer. We yeah, we get to we get to talk to people from the public, get to ask you detailed questions, and we have a bit of a laugh where we can, a little bit of black humour, and um, so because uh, that's important, you, you, you put a brave face on things. So uh, yeah, anyone, any listeners, um, uh, I don't even know when I'm coming this morning, next week or the week after or something. It's very um, come along and 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 here it's the last it's the last stop on the tour. Actually, we've been to. Uh, uh, Melbourne, Sydney, a couple of times, Brisbane, a couple of times, even Perth, Adelaide, but we haven't been to Lismore, and um, so uh, yeah, we'll be there soon. Good. Well, I've just uh, posted your um, the the link to your book onto the Environmental as Anything Facebook page. Um, so people who are listening can actually gain access to that link from there if they want to. Oh, uh, that's great. That would be very helpful because well, we want to make sure lots of copies. Yeah, you, well, that was, it seems like you know, you, people want to know the details of what's going on. That's uh, that's going to be the go-to stop. Look, David, uh, thank you uh, for all that you've done um, to you know, like it does, and thank you for sharing it here with us uh, in, in on environmental as anything. Good luck and keep us posted, hey. Yeah, well, look, thank you so much, Sean. It's it's a, an honour to be on your show, and. Um, and you know, thank you to all your listeners. People who listen to you are obviously the best people in the, um, around, and I'm 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 so grateful to you because you you're going to save the world. There's no doubt about it. Well, I certainly uh, hope so. And <laughs> thank you so much, Sean. No worries, David. Good luck with everything, okay. and we'll, we'll talk again soon, hey? Okay, thank you, Thanks. my friend. Cheerio. Bye-bye. That was uh, David McBride who is um, an, an author and uh, a former military lawyer who is uh, being charged with, uh, with uh, his, his efforts, for his efforts to expose uh, the, uh, the culture of, uh, of, of deep corruption that he is, uh, has found in uh, the Australian military. He, his, uh, his exposure of that has uh, given given the light of day to uh, a, a significant uh, a, a, you know, outpouring of, uh, of uh, information, uh, including that Brereton report, um, which has, uh, has led to, to some very significant changes, hopefully, uh, some very deep and significant changes being made in the Australian military. But he is now cha- facing the prospect of a 50-year sentence for his uh, courageous action to, uh, to 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 improve the 
the integrity and the capacity of uh, the Australian military. So I did uh, post a link to David's story uh, video as well on uh, the Environmental as Anything Facebook page. So go there, uh, you know, like and share and uh, and get along to see David. <laughs> We are going to move on. Fortunately, we have uh, courageous and honourable people in our community who stand up against uh, the forces of darkness. People like uh, Joe Dodds, who is uh, the president for Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action. And she was a Beagish Valley Shire councillor based down there in the southeast of New South Wales. And I thought it was timely to speak to uh, uh, to speak to her on uh, today's show because uh, Joe would have experienced the extreme uh, conditions which have led to uh, uh, hundreds of uh, schools being shut in uh, the southeast of New South Wales. I think it was hundreds. I might be I'll get her to correct me on that. And um, We've all experienced, and just with this upcoming fire season, with the uh, newly declared El Nino, uh, the bushfire survivors are actively campaigning to see uh, the federal government uh, reform the laws, the national environment laws, to uh, stop all new coal and gas projects. So, Joe, thank you for joining Environmental as Anything again today. No worries, Sean. Great to be here again. Yeah, yeah. it's been a while. I think uh, you were in the process of uh, uh, fighting the fight to get the EPA uh, get the EPA to actually acknowledge climate as an issue, uh, uh, and there was a court case which you were ultimately successful in. Uh, that might have been the last time we spoke. Yeah, indeed, that's a while ago now, but it was a really significant win because it was the first of its kind in Australia. And it does um, force the New South Wales EPA to, to include climate amongst the many harms to the environment over which they have carriage. And the, the most exciting thing about that win was not just the win in itself, but the fact that the, the um, state, New South Wales state government at the time and the uh, environment minister, uh, Matt Keane, was really on board with that and mm. said he wasn't going to appeal the decision. In fact, he was going to go in the opposite direction and... and go gangbusters to see if they could get that um, get the, the new conditions into the EPA um, Act. So they've been doing that and been really great at communicating with us. We have regular contact and, uh, yeah, we to see it be enacted, like enforced, mm. but, um, but they will come. Well... Yes, and so since then, of course, um, there have been many developments, including this week. Now, can you tell us about this week for you and for the, the South Coast, what it's been like? Because the, the fire yeah. conditions have been declared catastrophic down there. In, I mean, it's only September. What's, what's that like yeah. down there? Um, that, that was one of the more terrifying weeks that I've had. Um, and I've now myself been through three major fire, bushfire events. Um, and that's mm. not counting Black Saturday back in 2009. Mm. That's another one. Um, but last week, mid-September, with snow on the mountains, you know, up on the escarpment behind us, we had three days of truly lethal weather. So mm. um, we certainly didn't need the El Nino Declaration to be formally made to know that we have been in a really dangerous situation down here on the far south coast normally a very green and luscious place for our dairy, pastures and things. Vegan cheese, of course, is located here. Um, but it is so dry here, we are well and truly deeply back into a significant uh, drought event. And then we had these three days where the wind picked up. It got increasingly hot. The temperature went to the mid-30s and then got up as high as 36, 37 on Tuesday. And um, that's the day that the schools were closed. It wasn't 100 schools. We don't have 100 no, schools down I, here, but I think I, it was about 10 to 20 schools. I haven't had it confirmed, but it would have been 100 kids whose in education was interrupted hmm. um, and put on pause just so that we can keep fossil fuels going. Hmm. So we, we reckon it was for survivors for climate action that it should be the fossil fuels on pause, not the schools, not education. 
No, and we'll get to that, your, your calls for the, the pores and the, the fossil fuels, but I, I do just want to dwell a little bit on it because, um, you know, the, we're all going through these uh, traumatic uh, crises yep. and I'm, I'm speaking to you from Lismore where, you know, my, my listeners have been mm. through the flood zones not so long ago. We were talking about floods earlier. Of course, in the south coast, the, the horrific uh, you know, uh, fires, um, you know, came close to everybody there and, um, you know, yep. I had family affected by those fires. It seems like every Australian mm. knows somebody who was affected by those fires. So this, and, and, and as you said, you've been through at least three major fires plus the ones that you can't consider to be so major. Um, mm. It must have... A, an impact on how people feel on, on their on their, their their well you know their mental health um, uh, and how they relate to each other. Can you, do you, do you what, how does yeah. that affect the community? Have you seen what examples have you seen of people's you know impact the impact on people from from that yeah. perspective? Look, so many people were traumatized in in the various fires, and and some people in quick succession re-traumatized. Um, we had Tarpa fire in 2018. In March, by August, we had the Yankee Gap fire that went all through winter for about six, seven weeks. They couldn't get that one out. And then at the end of 2019, of course, we had the beginnings of the Black Summer and that burnt for weeks and weeks here in the valley. So mm. we've got people here who have been through that rolling, um, those rolling disasters where you feel like you, you haven't even really got through the first one and the next one hits. Mm. And it's not just that you have lost your home, although that is an incredibly um, significant life event that knocks people off their feet for yeah. years, if not forever, mm. but that um, the whole time you're thinking, is it going to be me next? Where's the next fire going to start? It could start anywhere. Um, you're on alert, looking out the window, checking your phone, thinking about what you should be packing. Should I be gathering up all my precious things and putting them in storage in town? Should I? Is it okay for another month or two? Um, and I know that the, my friend circle alone, there's, there's many people there who who are significantly mentally impacted by that, that stress and tension and fear. Mm. And last week, that middle day, it, it was the first like getting up on that morning and hearing that the schools were closed mm. in mid-September was one of the... That was a major trigger for me. And mm. and I'm pretty robust and, and, you know, don't think I've got any traumatic um, hangovers from those recent fires, but that was enough to send me into a bit of a, a state of agitation and, and mm. great sorrow too, thinking, mm. well, here we are. If this is happening in mid-September, then heaven help us when we get to summer. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, my heart goes out to you and, and to all of those down there. As I say, it's a, lo- it's a, it's a region that's close to my heart and, uh, you know, and it's an experience which we can relate to from up here. From, from the, mm-hmm. from our... So I guess we're all having to uh, get used to those rolling uh, uh, disasters uh, coming around. You've, uh, you know, as you've, you've said in the, the, the meet, there's the... the, um, the there's in the media release that we're talking to the uh, Australia faces another season of drought and extreme heat and catastrophic fires. Bushfire survivors for climate action uh, is calling for the federal government to pause all new coal and gas approvals, including expansions, until it reforms, as promised, the existing environmental regulatory framework and establishes a new environmental protection agency. What do uh, what are the prospects there? What What do you think? The, how, how do you think that might progress? That call to action. Well, we've very specifically asked just for a pause at this stage, and um, and for significant triggers to be in the environment, the new EPBC Act, which is under review, um, that will respond to climate. Um, and we've asked for a pause because we we know that there will have to be ongoing coal and gas use until we've managed to replace it all with renewables, which is coming. Mm. But we think that a pause is a very reasonable and sensible thing to do, given the current Act has been found to be insufficient. It has a lot of holes in it. It's not um, addressing um, greenhouse gas emissions from Mm. mining um, and burning the fossil fuels. So we're saying, you said you're going to review the Act. So how about, until the Act is actually fit to purpose, which we all know it isn't, until that point, how about we just pause those approvals, get the Act um, shape and ready, and then we can put 
those new approvals through that Act and see whether they measure up. Because that's the thing that has been the sticking point, is the Environment Minister, Tanya Plibersek, saying that she didn't have, she felt that uh, she didn't have tools yet to say no to any of these expansions and new mines because the legislation wasn't prohibiting them. She felt bound by that. And we, we think she can at least push pause um, and, and just apply the new Act when it's ready. Mm, mm. And it is it is telling that the the act has been reviewed extensively and uh, and has been found like seriously wanting in so many ways um, and and of course the minister you know that robust regulatory framework is is critical uh, to ensuring that uh, that the minister can act effectively on these these important issues. Um, the are there any indications um, now from what well, they will do? Well, <laughs> not. Not entirely, but mm. we did. Uh, we had a team of bushfire survivors. We went to Canberra a couple of weeks ago and spent three days in Parliament House, trotting from meeting to meeting. I think we had eleven or twelve meetings in the end, um, which is pretty intense. Um, an intense um, thing to do as as a person who's not a, a politician and not used to operating in those circles. We got in there and had those meetings with everyone from Chris Bowen to Bridget Archer. Karen Davey, um, who else? It was just uh, Fiona Phillips from the Far South Coast uh, and a bunch more. And we certainly did get a good reception for most of those people. We didn't get commitments from anyone in Labor, but that's fair enough. They have to go and talk to their uh, party room and figure out whether that is something they can do. But we we did get, which is interesting, we got some really great um, support from some of the people on the right, the Conservatives, who... Um, just because you're a conservative doesn't mean that you don't care about the climate and you don't care about your communities experiencing the things that we've been going through. So we got a really good hearing from people like Bridget Archer. Um, I'm trying to think of all the other people we met with, but there was a few. Um, and, and they said it was a really reasonable ask for mm. pause and they, in principle, did support that. So it was really nice to, to have that feedback that it was a sensible thing to be asking. It wasn't extreme. It's quite a reasonable thing. Um, so we're, we're going to keep pushing. We, we've got a petition out there. Highly encourage people, if they can, just get onto our website, just Google Bushfire Survivors. You'll find us. Yep. Um, because the more signatures, of course, we have, the more power that petition will have. Mm. And also, bringing the Office of the Environment Minister um, is always a good idea when, when you do things like that. That really does um, chalk up yet another voice mm. and is quite a powerful action. I don't think people realise how, how much power they've got in their hands to do those things, and, and it does have an impact. Mm. So, yeah, I'd encourage everyone to, to get on to that because, you know, there's a few pinch points where we, we do have those opportunities to respond um, together and push for change to be more urgent. And, I, and this is one of those opportunities and an easy thing for lots of people to participate in. Mm. And we've also got the, um, we've got the Climate Council coming on board as well with that petition. So they're adding their weight behind it and a few extra asks about the, um, the development of the new Act and EPA. So, yeah, that's what, that's what we've got in the pipeline. We just need help from everybody else out there. Well, we're hopefully, uh, yes, our community are clearly going to be facing these same problems uh, that you mm. are facing down there and uh, it's always in our best interest to work together uh, with, with our fellow citizens on these matters. So I think uh, it shouldn't be too hard to persuade people to yeah, send a letter or sign a petition and or ring, them, ring your minister. As you say, it is only a phone call. It seems like a terribly intimidating thing for some reason, but it's actually just picking up the phone and dialing a number and asking some questions. And yep. um, you've been going around doing the hard yards, as you say, knocking on those doors, wearing out shoe leather and actually shaking hands and having those conversations face-to-face. And having done that myself, I've got to say, um, you know, it sounds terribly intimidating. It's quite nerve-wracking to do before you do it. But actually when you show up, like you say, they give you a polite reception, they listen to you, they are respectful and they can be persuaded. Yes. And so- look, if you, if you make those phone calls, you don't... It's not the minister who answers the phone. That would be extremely rare, or the MP that you're targeting. Just you're really speaking to people. 
keep it polite. That's my other big tip. Nobody nobody is shifted in their views by someone who's being nasty or rude. So you can be really firm, but you your voice is much stronger and more powerful when you walk right and express yourself, you know, in a in a polite way. Talking about the impact you Joe, um, we're losing your audio there. Your your audio's fading away. And, but I think we've got the message uh, across. And I think uh, you know, given our time constraints, we're very near the end of the show. Anyway, I might have to let you go. Yeah. Hopefully, with a better line, we will get back to you very soon. As soon, you keep me posted, Joe. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Keep up the good work. That's Joe Dodds, and uh, you know she's a, a, a staunch uh, member of the uh, the bushfire survivors for climate action. She's the president uh, of that August group, and uh, doing great work, going and speaking from the perspective of bushfire survivors to our federal uh, m- m- members of parliament and uh, the ministers. Uh, and uh, and calling on them to pause uh, all new coal and gas projects until Australia's national environment laws have been reformed and made fit for purpose. Doesn't seem in the slightest bit unreasonable, but you can go and support them in doing in that good action and those good works uh, by going to bushfiresurvivors.org and uh, following the prompts there on their website, bushfiresurvivors.org. So, uh, look, this is uh, just about the end of the show. So I'll say goodbye to you now. Thank you for being with me today on Environmental as Anything. It's a great pleasure to have your company. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, I hope you're staying active and positive and uh, that you are being kind to yourself, gentle with each other and remembering that we are all in this together. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Environmental As Anything podcast. Uh, I'll be bringing them to you as regularly as I can. If you'd like to tune in to more of this kind of uh, material, uh, there's plenty of episodes available. You can subscribe to our podcast, and while you're there, you might as well rate it and help uh, spread the word by sharing it on social media if you can. We're on social media, of course, on Facebook particularly. You can find us anywhere you look for environmental as anything. And if you're really keen to see the show carry on, please do go and support us on Patreon. Again, you can find us by just searching environmental as anything Patreon. Thank you for your support together. Uh-huh.